My head was spinning at that point. And then we announced both the carbon negative, the billion dollar fund, paying back our climate debt. All of that happened within a matter of months in terms of the ideation to making a public announcement. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone, to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. If you've been enjoying Smart Energy Voices, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast player. Thanks in advance for taking a minute to do that. Today, I'm very excited to share the opening keynote presentation from our recent Renewable Energy Forum, featuring Microsoft's General Manager of Energy and Renewables, Brian Janis. Microsoft is one of the world's preeminent leaders in the energy transition. They're a company that's constantly innovating. And Brian gives us a look into the mindset and culture at Microsoft that's enabled this unique approach to innovation, including their efforts to drive collaboration between peers, suppliers, and customers to enable broader adoption of renewable energy. Here's Brian Janis. So as John said, I'm from Microsoft. Uh, I've been working, working in the energy sector for over 20 years. Uh, I've been at Microsoft for 10 years. And I want to talk a little bit about what our commitments are. And I'm going to briefly go over what the commitments are, but I really actually want to spend the bulk of the time talking about how we got here, because I think that's really important. We've got a commitment to be carbon negative by 2030. We're also committing to remove all of our historical emissions by 2050. And we're also investing a billion dollars in climate technology to help accelerate those goals. Because we know that as much progress as we've made over the last 10 years, there's still a lot that we need to do in order to achieve the deep decarbonization that we need to see in this sector. And so those are sort of the, the key sort of pillars of what it is that we're doing and what we've committed to. And, and we have, a, I, I think, a really great vision for where we're going. But I want to spend most of the time talking about where we've been and what is it ta- what is it taken for us to get to the point that we, we are at today. Because I think it's realistic to say, like, we're not all going to be at the same place on this journey at the same time. Right? So I can talk to you about some of the things we're doing with technology. I can talk to you about some of the, the work we're doing with environmental justice, with companies like Volt Energy, which have Gilbert here uh, representing, which we're super excited about. And all those things are important for where we're going. But as I reflect back on the last 10 years, I've had the good fortune of being present at nearly every conversation that Microsoft has had of any significance that set us on the journey that got us to where we are today and is going to get us to where we're going to be in 10 years. And this goes all the way back to 2012. In 2012, we established our first commitment to be carbon neutral. And at the time, we were iterating on this concept of a carbon tax, saying, okay, we can, what if we establish this internal carbon tax, we made all the businesses pay into the tax, and then we can use that that revenue from the tax to go actually buy renewable energy credits and buy carbon offsets. And so we set the scopes at, at employee travel. 
basically scope one and two. It was, it was employee air travel, which is technically scope three, any direct emissions, and then our, our scope two. And at the time, I don't, I'm drawing a blank on the exact number, but I want to say that maybe we were looking at something like two million, two and a half million metric tons of emissions associated with that scope. And so we went in and met with the, the chief accountant for the company at the time. And we initially had said, well, we'll sort of ease in. Maybe over the next five years, we'll become carbon neutral with this tax. And he's like, well, why don't we just do it now? He's like, you're only proposing to charge, like, we're only, I think we were charging $3 a metric ton. So, I mean, we were talking about a, a company the size of Microsoft that time. We were about an 80, probably $80 billion annual revenue company. He's like, this is a rounding error. He's like, it's not even worth it for me to do it if we just don't go carbon neutral today. So we're like, oh, okay, cool. We'll go carbon neutral today. So we committed to be carbon neutral. And that set us down the road of, of establishing this internal carbon tax. And again, at the time, the cloud was very small. The overall emissions for the company were, were much lower than they, they are today. And so it really wasn't that big of a deal to establish this tax. Though it turned out it became quite a useful tool and, and ultimately quite subversive in helping us achieve our long-term goals. And so what happened is a few, few years later, we're starting to look at that, that commitment and saying, okay, well, I mean, this is interesting in that we're starting to cascade the, the cost and the awareness of sustainability throughout the company. Because again, each business group actually had to pay. This hit their P&L. They paid into the centralized fund that then, then went to use to go fund these programs. But we said, well, you know, it's really, we're not doing as much as we could because it's really more about how do we have greater impact, right? How do we move from just just attributional that we can say, yeah, we can check the box that we're carbon neutral to, to something that's more causal where we're actually going out and signing our own PPAs and we're getting projects built. So shortly thereafter, as in 2013, we signed our, our very first PPA. And it started with a conversation that we had with our former CEO, Steve Ballmer. And we had gone in to pitch, and we were trying to just take a little bite of the apple. So we said, what if we just did like a small deal? I think it was 75 megawatts. It was a project called... Rail splitter, I believe it was, and someone, someone in here may have developed that project or something. But it was in Illinois, and it was a merchant project, actually. And so we were looking at a, a small little seven-year deal, because we were, again, just trying to get our feet wet, and we didn't know what Steve was going to think about this. We were doing a tour with him and some executives at one of our data centers out in eastern Washington, and we were coming back on the bus. And so my VP goes, okay, Steve, we want to talk to you about this, this idea around doing this renewable energy project. So, you know, I'm explaining it to Steve and what it is, what it entails, and he stopped me, and he goes wait a minute, this sounds like a hedge. Is this a hedge? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, technically it's a hedge because we're signing a fixed price and floating. He's, no, 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 he said, he goes, we don't hedge. Microsoft doesn't hedge anything. We can self-insure all risks. We do not need to hedge energy prices. We're not worried about energy prices. And I'm like, okay, fair. And so we get back, you know, after the bus ride and go into the office with my VP and he goes, okay, you heard Steve, no hedging. He goes, Steve's not worried about energy prices. He goes, I promise you, Steve does not think about energy more than about one minute a year. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair. So back to the drawing board. So go back and I'm sort of thinking about, you know, what it is we're going to do? Steve doesn't want to hedge. We're never going to be able to do renewable energy projects because they're technically a hedge. So then I was like, well, what if we did a bigger project? We did longer term and we didn't call it a hedge. We just said, look, we're just taking a position in the market, but we're really just trying to get these attributes. That's what we want. We didn't really care about the energy so much. We really wanted to, to make sure that we were bringing net new renewables onto the grid. So it's not really about hedging commodity exposure at all. It's about sustainability. It's about what we want to be as a company. So, so instead of doing the seven-year, 75-megawatt project, we come back to Steve with a 20-year, 110-megawatt project. 
And so we, we do this by email, and we send him an email, and Steve's like, look, I, he goes, whatever Peter thinks. Peter was our CFO at the time. He goes, if Peter wants to do this, then, then we'll do it. So we set this meeting up with Peter, and then the week before we're supposed to have the meeting with Peter, Peter steps down as CFO, in steps Amy Hood as our new CFO. So she's one week on the job. Here we are bringing her a 20-year contract for purchasing wind energy in Texas. And I'm thinking there is zero chance that in the first week of her established as our new CFO, she's going to agree to this. Microsoft does not sign 20-year agreements for anything, right? We're a tech company. Like, there's no way she's going to do this. So I was really nervous going to the meeting because I'm like, we're just going to get just reamed on this. And so we get in there, and Amy walks in, and she has the deck in her hands, and she sits down. She goes, this is great. I was like, oh. Really? She's like, tell me more, Amy. What do you, what do you think is so great about this? And so she starts going through it and talking about, well, you know, she's like, yeah, it's kind of a hedge, but so maybe we'll make some money, maybe we'll lose some money. And I, those of you who've been, you know, in this long enough to know that back then we're all using our Ventex curves and everyone was going to make money, like lots and lots of money, right? Because it was, everything was going up forever. Well, in the deck, so this, and I think part of the reason I actually still have this job is we put the Ventex curves in there, you know, base case, we make bazillion dollars, and middle case, we make, you know, even more, well, whatever, and low case, we still make a bazillion dollars. And we, we created another case, and we said, okay, Amy, these are the, these are the curves that everyone uses, but actually, if we're really good at our jobs collectively as an industry, we're hopefully going to build a lot more projects like this, because this project was in Texas at the time, and I think there was nine, you know, nine gigawatts in Texas. There's a few more than that today. But if we're all really good at our jobs, presumably the wholesale price of electricity shouldn't just keep going up. In some points, it actually should go down. Like we, because we're going to keep putting more zero marginal cost energy on the grid, therefore it's going to push the price down. So Amy, there's a scenario where the price of power actually goes down over this period of time, not up. And she goes, yeah, but if that happens, then we're paying less for electricity, right? And I'm like, mm, yeah, it's because it's a hedge. And <laughs> she's like, well, then it's fine. She's like, don't, don't worry about it. So then she kept talking and she's, she's, at some point in the conversation, she's something about Henry Hub. And I was like, oh. Why do, you, why do you know what Henry Hub is? You're just CFO of Microsoft. Why do you, you know? Turns out she had actually traded energy at Goldman Sachs prior to joining Microsoft. And so she, all of this was just like second nature to her. She's like, I totally get this transaction. Makes a ton of sense. And so that was, the, that was our first foray into doing, you know, power purchase agreements. And then the subsequent years, we did several more. And then we decided at some point, and this was maybe 2016, that we should set some targets around where we're going because it was starting to get more of just like these are sort of one-off deals, but we should actually have some commitments around that. So that actually led to our first renewable energy commitment where we say, okay, we're going to be 50% renewable by 2018, we're going to be 60% in the early 2020s, and we're going to be 70% by 2023. So we had this goal, and that was great. So it's like now we've got some support behind it. We're starting to move the ball forward. We increase the carbon tax a little bit so we can start to fund some of these activities. But then come fall of 2019, since I think in that time you, would, you saw a lot of acceleration around corporates making renewable energy commitments, starting to set 100% targets. We at the time did not have a 100% target. There was another big tech company, which we like to refer to as the company across the lake, set a public target to be 100% renewable by 2030. A week later, we're back in Amy's office. Back up a little bit. We were driving over there with my VP, and I said, okay, well, Amy clearly is going to push us to make some 100% commitment by some date, right? And she clearly is not going to be satisfied if it's after or even the same as this other company across the lake. To my VP, I said, why don't we just propose that we'll come in, you know, 2027, 2028. We'll beat it by a couple of years. And we were kind of on that trajectory anyway, if you follow the 
the straight line from 50, 50%, 60%. We were sort of on this trajectory. We were going to get there by 2030. So I said, we'll, we'll tell Amy and my, my VP. So why don't we tell her 2028, and then we'll tell her, but we're, we'll try to beat that, maybe. We'll try to come in a little early. So she felt good about that. So we get in there, and she gives her the pitch, and Amy goes, tell you what, how about 2025, and why don't you try to beat that? I'm like, oh, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> no problem, Amy. We'll get, up, we'll get right on that. And so that happened in the fall, and then about a month later, I get an email, another email from Amy, and she's saying, hey, we've got this affordable housing commitment. We've got a $500 million fund, I think it's now $750 million, for affordable housing in the Puget Sound area. She goes, you know, this is something that we're doing because it's important for us to give back to the community in this way. We recognize that Microsoft is part of the reason why it's unaffordable to live in Seattle, so this is an obligation we have. She goes, but we also have an obligation to climate, and climate's a bigger problem, so it needs to be a bigger fund. But I want something similar to what we did for housing. We get, I get together with my, our chief sustainability officer, Lucas Joppa. He and I and someone from Treasury, we pound out this, this email to Amy and say, okay, here's the fund. We think it should be a billion dollars. We think it should be focusing on climate tech that is necessary to both to achieve decarbonization goals that we have as a society, but also for Microsoft to achieve its obligations. So we sent this email to her the week before Thanksgiving of 2019. We immediately get a response. She's like, I love it. Let's have a meeting right after Thanksgiving. So right after Thanksgiving, we go to meet in her office. We, had, we spend maybe 20 minutes talking about this. Approved. She goes, I'm taking it to the board. We announced it a month later. So as I'm looking back over this time and the things that happened leading up to that moment, because my head was spinning at that point. And then we, we announced both the carbon negative, the billion-dollar fund, paying back our climate debt. All of that happened within a matter of months in terms of the ideation to making a public announcement. It happened so quickly. And as I reflected back on that and and really thinking about the stories that I was just telling you and how things were were so slow at the beginning and, and there was skepticism and resistance to suddenly being like, hey, here's just an email, go set up a billion dollar fund and then like an email and a 20 minute meeting later, it's like, yeah, that's what we're gonna go do. It really dawned on me that that sustainability and the company's commitment to sustainability had moved from being something that was a nice to have to something that sat alongside any other thing that a company might be interested in doing to something that really became part of our DNA and it became embedded as a core value. And, and I, I remember thinking back on a conversation I'd had with some of our finance folks in the years prior to that. I remember someone said to me point blank, this is not a top five issue for Microsoft. Sustainability is just not. We've got privacy, we've got customer security, we've got, we've got a whole bunch of things, but they said this is not one of the things. So if you're expecting Amy or anyone else to make this huge commitment and give you all these resources, and do, it's not going to happen because it's just not embedded in the DNA of the company. And as I was reflecting on that two-month period where we put together these commitments and, and pushed them out and started to advance these things, it became very clear to me that this is absolutely a core value of the company. And that's what changed. It changed from being something that was nice to have to something that now sits alongside things like customer data privacy, right? Accessibility. Things that people don't debate, well, how much is it going to cost this year for Microsoft to keep its customer data safe? You can't put a price tag on that to, to keep customer data safe, right? Like that is, that is core to who we are as a company. You can't debate that. There's no negotiating it. Right. And this is really where sustainability sits for us today. It, it is an absolute non-negotiable for the company. And the thing that's really exciting to me 
isn't just Microsoft. It's not just the tech industry. Company after company, industry after industry, we're seeing these commitments being made that we would have never seen five years ago. We would have never seen a lot of these things three years ago. What we have done as an industry over the last 10 years is so amazing to think about how much this industry has moved and how things that would have been enormous lifts a few years ago are now becoming afterthoughts of, oh, well, of course XYZ company or XYZ industry is going to commit to sustainable fuels and sustainable materials and thinking about packaging in different ways. And you go you down the list and you will find industry after industry and company after company that's making really serious commitments. And it's so exciting to see that as hard as the last 10 years was, all of these things that we did were essential steps on this journey. I mean, what we did in 2012 and say, okay, we're going to go out and buy some wrecks and some carbon offsets, it really wasn't that consequential. But it was essential for us to get to where we ultimately got. And so one of the things that I really hope that you'll hear in this is that regardless of where you are, where your company is on your journey, it's fine. It's okay. We don't all have to be at the same place at the same time. What we need to do is we need, one, we need companies that are willing to be out in front and lead and innovate and break things along the way and try to figure out how to do it better. And we need that learning to be shared. And forums like this are a great place for that, right? Where we can share like, hey, here's how we did it. Here's what we learned. Here's the mistakes that we made. And we need others to be able to learn faster than we did, right? And that's part of that learning and part of that sharing journey is that hopefully what happens is that as we go to our next goals of carbon negative and how we're trying to be 100% uh, zero carbon 100% of the time, we're going to make some mistakes along the way. But we're also going to be able to share those learnings with the industry. And hopefully, we're all going to be able to move faster to achieve those goals. And so, you know, I don't expect a company today that comes out and says, hey, we want to be carbon neutral, that it's going to take them 10 years to get to where we are. Because there's going to be so much learning and there's going to be a lot of positive peer pressure to go faster and do more that we're going to be able to accelerate these things so much quicker. Now, the hard stuff we've got to do over the next 10 years is just going to take a long time. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be overnight. But then the companies that can come in behind that will be able to draft off the learnings that, that we're creating. And so that's what's so exciting, I think, right now about this industry is that we've done so much over the last 10 years. And I think the progress that we've made specifically on the renewable energy side has just been phenomenal. And I think that we're going to see tremendous amount of change over the next five years as even more and more companies you're able to jump onto that, that bandwagon and really catch those tailwinds. And then we're going to break some things along the way. I mean, we're, we're going to learn some new things. And then hopefully, you know, five years from now, then we'll be able to, you know, continue that acceleration. So it's, it's an extraordinarily exciting time, I think, to be part of this industry. And so I think it, the title of the talk was Art of the Possible. And so as I, as I really think about what that means, it's more than just about thinking about where are we trying to go, but it's really about what is just that next step along the journey. That's the thing that's important. What is the next thing we're going to do to move the ball forward just a little bit more? Because you don't have to do it all at once. We're not going to change everything in the industry overnight. But we are going to progressively, day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision, commitment by commitment, we are going to transform this industry. It's just going to be how quickly. And so I think with the collective commitment in this room, with the collective commitment in our industry, I'm incredibly optimistic about what we're going to do in the next decade. I'm really proud of what we've done over the last 10 years, but I think there's so much more 
that we're gonna be able to accomplish as an industry. And I'm just thrilled and honored to get to be part of it and get to be part of these conversations and get to spend you know, my days thinking about these problems, working with a lot of you in this room to help solve them. And so I'm honored to get to open the conference. It's really fun to get to see people's faces, to be back together in person. This is way better than doing this over video. So thank you, John, for putting this together. Thank you, entire SED team, for bringing us all together. And with that, I'm going to open it up for some questions. We'd like to thank Brian Janis once again for this fantastic keynote that kicked off our first in-person event in two years. We look forward to watching Microsoft's continued success and innovation as they achieve their emission reduction goals and ambitions. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for joining us on the podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, Click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in every episode of this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.